Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Hi, this is Mike Roth. Today I'm here with Peter Wenzel from General Data Company, Inc. Before we get started, what I wanted to do was tell you a little bit of Peter is the uh, president of and CEO of General Data Company, a labeling and identification barcoding technology supplier headquartered here in Cincinnati. Peter oversees the operations of the company, growth, strategic direction for the General Data Company, as well as its subsidiary, General Data Healthcare, and General Data Financial and Tax Accounting. Those are like three wildly <laughs> different market areas. From a background perspective, Peter's from Ann Arbor, Michigan, attended Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, and then Northern Michigan University. Professionally, back in 1974, he founded a company called Lowry Computer Products in 1974. I always thought of Lowry as a seasoning. <laughs> Different family. Different family, okay. Different family of Lowry's. Okay, and his current company, General Data, was founded in Pittsburgh in 1981, and you moved the company, Peter, to Cincinnati in 1994. Yes. That's got to be a good story. How, how come you moved the company from Pittsburgh, a big city, to a little town like Cincinnati? <clears throat> well, Cincinnati's a much better town, except for the football team, and sometimes the baseball team, maybe even the hockey team. <laughs> but I merged general data in with a company that was called Graphic Data Systems that was actually headquartered in Amelia here. Okay. And that was in 1987. And at the time, we had a small manufacturing operation in Indianapolis. We had sales and marketing in Cincinnati, and corporate headquarters was in Pittsburgh and our warehousing. And it's one thing if you're a very large company to do business with all of your uh, key areas in different cities, and it was just very difficult for us. And uh, at the time, so there was three uh, partners in General Data, and we decided that if we were going to make the leap and really turn this into a big business, that we all had to be in one city. And doing the research especially from my wife's perspective, it's like, wait a minute, you're the president. Why do we have to move? Oh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be the correct move. And Ohio, especially back then, and I think even more so today, is much more business-friendly than Pennsylvania is. Really? Yes. Yeah, I, I would have looked at it from a big city versus a small town. Well, you could actually get there from here in Cincinnati. Uh, that's correct. Pittsburgh, <laughs> all I remember is the bridges and tunnels 
and there's a mountain in the way. A- a- absolutely, and they don't put street signs up either. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a time when my wife's company wanted us to move to Pittsburgh, Pines, and we went over to take a look at it, and we drove around what they called the beltways, where the streets were one lane in each direction, and they called it a beltway. It was kind of like Clough Pike. It wasn't even as good as Five Mile or, or Beachmont, so... It was a good move to take the company to Cincinnati. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, since you've been here in Cincinnati, I, I see you've won several awards, a couple of awards from uh, Cincy Business Magazine for uh, Manny Awards, that's the manufacturers, for the biggest breakthrough. Yes. What was that big breakthrough? That was uh, when we started into the healthcare business, and w- we were dangerous because we didn't know what we were doing in healthcare, okay. it, where... If you approach a problem, if you think you know it all, you're going to proceed down one path. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't realize the obstacles, we just kept going at it, and we actually came up with a very unique product that is now recognized as the absolute best in the world. What does it do? We came up with a, a way for laboratories to process tissue if if you've had a biopsy Mm -hmm. and that tissue goes to the lab. Well, these labs may process hundreds up to the thousands of these tissue samples a day. Well, in the day, and unfortunately still prevalent now, most of that tracking of the patient's data to match it to the the tissue is all a manual process. And so you have uh, lab technicians doing a lot of writing to match the patient data to the sample. And to put it into perspective, it's a 17-digit number, typically. And in this situation, there's at least two potential error points where that 17-digit number has to be matched between your tissue and and you. Mm-hmm. And U.S. market is 7 billion slides a year. So if you have 7 billion and two error points of 17 digits, that's a whole lot of numbers that, with the potential for error. I likened it to your checking account. Is if you went to the bank and every, every time that teller had to write down your account number to physically process your check. Right. Um, there's bound to be a couple of errors in a day. Bound to be some errors. And the labs, you know, they weren't ambivalent about it. They did have manual systems in there to try to uh, fix this. But just the sheer volume uh, did not lend itself uh, to having accurate data consistently. And, again, this isn't a lost check. This is at the end of that process. There's a pathologist looking at that slide and saying, this person has cancer or not. That's a pretty heavy decision. It's extremely heavy. Especially if it comes down the wrong way because of the mix-up in slides. Right. And there has been many documented cases over the years where drastic surgery had been performed on the wrong patient because of the lab results. And unfortunately, the way that the system worked even if they would go to get a second opinion, yeah. they relied on the original lab results. They didn't do separate labs. They didn't do separate labs. Oh, boy. 
So, so you, you came up with a way to overcome those potential errors. Correct. Right. So we can track when the sample comes in the lab. It's you, you track right from the operating room. That is a separate system, but it can be. Because it would seem like you, you, if it was my sample, find out whether it was benign or cancer. Yeah. I'd want to track right there in the operating room when the surgeon gets it out of me. It, it can be done, and it's sort of a complicated process because a lot of this doesn't come directly from that operating room. It can come from uh, a 50 doctor's offices could be sending stuff in. So sure. um, there's many ways to track it coming in, but m now many of them are coming in barcoded when they hit the lab. So when they're barcoded, no one has to actually read this or write this 17-digit number. Correct. They scan. And the computer does the match. Correct. So you get the right answer for the right patient. The correct answer for the right patient. Correct. Good. And just to go on that a little bit, we, we first started out just making slides. Uh, I'm sorry. We made labels that went on the slides. Okay. That's and because we found this product because a, a customer asked us, can you make a slide label that's xylene resistant, which is a nasty industrial chemical that yeah. they use in the slide cleaning? And we said, sure, we can do that. Well, it, A, that became uh, a lot trickier than we thought, but we did accomplish that goal. And geez, we thought we had this breakthrough and we were fat, dumb, and happy, and we were going to just take over the market worldwide, and then, um, then we went to the next customer, and it didn't work. This sticky stuff that you, yes. that you made the whole the label on. Right, that, that, that worked great at the first lab. And maybe one story short, um, we come to find out that in the healthcare community that in my mind, would be a very document-specific processes for everything that they do, and that's not really the case in that the environment to do these tests in lab are dependent upon which doctor you studied under at what university, and they develop their protocol. But if you... So if you studied under Dr. Jones at UCLA, they do it this way. But if you studied under Dr. Smith at Johns Hopkins, they do it a different way. And then each lab could tweak it, the temperature of the fluids, the length of time to exposure of X chemical, all these different variables where I'm thinking, you know, for cancer test number nine, you go to page five in your book, and here is how you lay out and do cancer test number nine. Right. And there's usually about 25 or 26 steps in these protocols. No, not the case. Each, each lab is different. Each lab is different. Mm. And so to try to, if you imagine, trying to come up with a standardized product that will fit in a non-standardized environment, and oh, by the way, there's 5,000 different tests and about 7,000 labs. So... <clears throat> That's well, kind of a problem. That's a complex problem. That is a complex problem that we were going to get to. That's right. Where simple <laughs> solutions usually don't work. They did not work. Just uh, a simple xylene resistant mm -hmm. adhesive, great idea, yeah. fail. It got, we made it better. We made it, made it better. <laughs> better. And so that was the challenge that we had to develop not just 
a good product, mm -hmm. but we had to build a world-class, bulletproof product that would work in just a wide, wide uh, variety of circumstances. So we could work in a lab at UCLA, a lab at Chicago, a lab at Baltimore at Johns Hopkins. Yes. Or a lab in, I have a niece who works in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Or, or in Dusseldorf. Yeah. And now, and, and International uh, products that well, as well as yourself? Yes. In the, with this product line, both on the labels for the slides and then the new challenge that came up after we were into this business is that the customer came and said, geez, you know, we really like your labels on our slides, mm -hmm. but what we really need to do is put the barcode in at the beginning of our process. And if you could do that, then we'd really buy a lot. What do you mean the beginning of the process? Yeah, what does that mean? This is the beginning of the process. We're putting it on the slide. Oh, no. We do a whole separate process where the tissue actually goes into a cassette that looks like an old matchbook, or I'm sorry, a matchbox, right. with many slits in it to let the xylene flow through it. And they also marked the cassette, and then at the end of that process, they had to from the cassette and put it onto the slide label. And the cassette, after we struggled for another year and a half trying to make a label that would stick to that cassette, that we determined was virtually impossible. So with a partner company, we developed an entire laser marking system where we paint a black coating on the outside of the cassette and then our laser marker oblates away the black and leaves a two-dimensional barcode very small on this uh, cassette, which we can store about 29 characters within this and a lot more data that the labs and the doctors wanted to have. And so fast forward from that. So you have to sell a lot of cassettes that have the pre-blackened -black, area. Yes. And then you're selling the laser markers. Uh, Etching machines? Yes. Wow. And the slide labels. And then I said... Question, why would you just do on slides as well? Well, um, complex problem. It's something we've looked at. There's um, our, the way that our technology is. There are some patents that are held by other people. Uh, and it's another difficult, complex problem, but... Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Peter Wenzel. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. 2010 was probably a great year. If it wasn't, you'll need to listen real hard for the next few seconds. Albert Einstein said, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results was the definition of insanity. You have to change. Change works. We change salespeople and companies via long-term incremental growth. There are no magic bullets. If you want to make this year your best year ever, you need a proven business development process that yields higher profits and sales in less time. If that's your case, we need to talk. Call me at 513-646-6523 or visit our website at rothconsulting.net. Some people need to see it so they understand what we're all about. Call me at 513-646-6523 for a free guest pass to one of our training sessions. 
Hi, this is Matthew Newberger with Sandler Training, and I'm here to share Sandler rule number 11, money does grow on trees. Now, if you were to think conceptually for a second, there are three main components to this. One is, is you have to grow your referral network so you don't start from scratch every time you want to develop a client. Two, you have to build branches onto your referral tree. And third, you have to water that tree to keep it healthy. So, the reality today is that it is really hard to start the sales process over and over again from scratch. And there really is a better way. Most of us know it, we just don't follow it. So if you can imagine for a second taking a piece of paper, drawing a vertical line down the center and putting a horizontal line at the bottom, this would be the base of your tree. Every time you add a client, you are adding a branch to that tree. Each branch can sprout more branches. This becomes your referral tree. Somebody who's a professional at what they do understands the simple concept that every time they add a customer, they ask that customer for a referral. And when they get that referral, the next thing they do is they make sure that they take that referral from cool to warm based on the relationship with their existing customer. They take that opportunity, they close that opportunity, they ask for another referral. They take that referral, build off the relationship with the client, and take that referral opportunity from cool to warm to hot. And it's actually something that's really great to see. You watch this tree blossom and you watch this salesperson blossom as well into a very mature professional salesperson. Remember, money does grow on trees. Referral tree. So this is Mike Roth. I'm back here with, uh, with Peter Wenzel from General Data Company. And Peter's company is in several different lines. We've talked in the first segment about labeling and identification of products and systems, barcoding and data collection and tracking systems, wireless mobility. What is that product line all about, Peter? Wireless mobility, I think most consumers are now familiar with it because of all the smartphones. Sure, smartphones. Smartphones to us is a subset or on the lower end of the scale. It's typically taking that the same functionality or more functionality into a hardened device that can be used in business uh, day in and day out and survive the rigors of those applications. Uh, to give, again, a, a consumer example, and, and we didn't do these systems, but if when you go into a Home Depot, or a grocery store. You'll see sort of a, a, a large gun-looking device scanner. That, that's a scanner, not at the cash register, but that the associates or the stock people are using. Yeah, in carrying the, around on the belt. Right. Beating them up. But I say, well, how much is that two-by-four? And they can scan the label. Right. Or if there's a stock out and you're look, they can scan that and see, oh, yes, we do have one back in the warehouse. We just haven't put it on the shelf yet. So installing those systems of wireless mobility, uh, we do that nationwide. Uh, and in essence, uh, I like to refer to us, we're the data plumbers, <clears throat> so that we don't put in the system that does the warehouse or your manufacturing software running your plant. What we do is go into the facility and typically they're either manufacturing or distribution centers and we do the site surveys to figure out how many access points are needed, where the 
correct location for antennas are needed? Uh, do you need coverage out on your docks? Uh, is you know we've done a few steel mills that are square miles. Do you need to send a signal to the other side? So you're actually installing the uh, local radio in inside of a facility. We or you're in, with the cell carriers. Well, typically these aren't. It isn't cell signal, but the the wireless data is on an internal system that's connected to the, the existing uh, either Wi-Fi or the internal backbone. We collect that data and then get it formatted in a the in the environment where we can dump that data directly into the customer's existing ERP system, whatever it may be. So if they have whatever accounting system or manufacturing system or distribution system, our data comes in seamless to their existing system. And you install these all over the country? Yes. That means you have installers traveling all around? Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the, uh, uh, a little bit more about the company. I, I know you have the headquarters here in Cincinnati. Uh, do you have locations outside of Cincinnati that your people operate from? Yes, we have one uh, large location in Costa Mesa, California, with a full office. And in the past, we used to have a lot of little offices, and now, frankly, most of our uh, people, they work out of their homes, either both sales and service, uh, were registered to do business in 13 states, um, both, uh, again, sales and service people, because that's one of our other divisions that we... Uh, if I back up a little bit, uh, my internal motto or the, try to tell our customers is that we're one throat to choke. We, when something goes wrong, there's, there's no excuses. If you hire us, we'll sell it, we'll install it, we'll service it, and uh, depending on the application, either we'll do the software for it to integrate it and or uh, in the labeling part, if, if, it, if part of that system entails the printing of barcodes, we will sell we manufacture and sell the labels and the ribbons to go through. So we do the supplies, the commodities, the hardware, software installation, and, and we fix it if it breaks. In 13, just 13 states. Well, 13 states where we have physical people. Physical presence. And then from those states, we, we uh, I think we've done installations in 49 okay. other states. We haven't done Alaska yet. But we've uh, we have a very large system in Honolulu that was recently installed. Yeah, they probably need barcodes for all those salmon's coming up. Uh, I was up there last fall. Beautiful place, but one heck of a lot of salmon canneries. The other thought that I had was one of my first clients here in town was a uh, you call them a meatpacking company, and we're training all of their their salespeople in, in their conference room, and the uh, VP of sales had a heart attack the day before we were to start. So the chairman of the board acts as the leader. You always need a leader when you're training in a company. And it was working out well. I remember the the first afternoon, some guy from the plant comes in. He's, he's waving a piece of uh, paper with a barcode on it, slapping it, and saying to the president, it doesn't work. The scanners can't read the codes that were printing in the freezer. Yes that if you have a multiple vendor environment or especially freezers. Um, I'm sure they were doing yeah. it. It was cold. Peter, I remember yeah. the first time I visited these guys, 
I, I, they told me to arrive at 5, 5.30 so they could talk. I said, no problem. They said, just come around the front. There's a big door. Go in the big door. It was a freezer door. <laughs> I walked in in the middle of the summer and froze. Yes, we've actually installed antennas inside those freezers. So yeah, because the radio signal won't penetrate them. Yeah, infrastructure. Right. Okay, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got into the fixed asset management rec reconciliation business, because that's another one that's a little bit different. Yeah, well, it, everyone it fits together. Yeah, all the businesses they fit together in that the same place that we're doing uh, manufacturing or distribution, we can also tag and track assets. And then as a part of that, actually, I had a company come to us looking for very durable labels that could go in manufacturing environment, but and they were the tax consultants that were doing the actual inventories, but their clients didn't want to spend the money to have a full metal uh, laser engraved. If you think back to the old days, we used to see those big metal computers. metal tags, and they get the things, and they were yeah, riveted on, riveted on uh, or whatever, screwed on, so yeah. they couldn't be removed. Right, uh, which is all well and good, but very expensive, especially if you have to do thousands or tens of thousands of and them, time consuming. And time consuming. So uh, we developed a, a label that would actually stick through oil onto dirty machines that we could, you know, we'd clean them off to the extent, but it could actually still have an oil film and we could put the label on it to absorb through the oil and, and stick to the machine. So we had some uh, very robust products for that environment and talks went from there and I actually bought that company. So now we have a full division that does inventories and it's not so prevalent in Ohio but you see in states where there is still a business personal property tax that's where the inventories are very important because especially if you get into you know a plant a chemical plant a car manufacturer you know anywhere from they may have 10 to 150 million dollars worth of assets in that plant or something like the Toyota plant in Kentucky correct and if right, so if those assets are not properly documented, and it's usually not a problem of new stuff coming in because that goes on the books. What happens is that ten years after this manufacturing line's installed, a fifty thousand dollar motor dies. Well, they they promptly buy a new fifty thousand dollar motor, and that gets put on the books. Guess what? The one that got thrown out or sitting over in the corner hoping to use for spare parts never gets taken off the books. Mm. And so over a period of years, you can imagine even if, you, if you've got $150 million worth of assets and you're only off by 10%, you're paying personal property tax on $15 million worth of assets that are not used, are gone, or obsolete. Mm. And so be a big savings. Big savings to uh, get that stuff off the books, and uh, I think we talked we talked about the tracking and identification systems that uh, that you make uh, for for hospital and medical applications. Yeah. If I could touch on, base on that just a little bit, because I, I made a claim 
and we got on to other things. I didn't get to back up that claim, and I said that our system for that is the absolute best in the world. And when when salespeople or whatever tell me that, oh, uh, I'm a, little, a bit skeptical, and I just like to back up the claim in that uh, we sell those products ourselves within the United States. Sure. But even for, for a small, medium-sized company, if you truly have a world-class product, how do you sell that worldwide? It's a very daunting process. I hope you have some language translators on staff. <laughs> well, so what we opted to do is we have two partners that purchase from us and we private brand under their names. Okay. And both of those customers are billion-dollar-plus companies, and they researched every product on the market and even looked at building their own in-house and both of them decided to buy our product and have us private label for them. So if you have $2 billion companies buying your product instead of building or buying from now, somebody else. I would assume that they're non-competitive country by country, so that you're not competing with yourself. Well, we don't sell. I mean, they are oh. competing with one another. With oh, yes. Product. Yeah, they are. Well, they're, so, but, so they are, actually are in some countries, competing head-to-head? Probably. You know, I, I don't really track their business models, and I have uh, enough challenges of my own here locally. But We worked with uh, a company here in town that made an uh, air quality monitoring system for industrial hygienists. I don't want to use the name of the company, but it, it was an extremely successful system, and they managed to sell it to another large billion-dollar company that put their name on it, and our company's reps were selling directly head-to-head with the uh, the megalith. Yes. Most of the time, we were winning. Well, that happens more than people might believe just in businesses day, these days. And I see it on the labeling side where... We weren't any cheaper. You, know? yeah. you could buy it under the national brand mm-hmm. name that everyone's heard of, almost a household word. And our guys were selling it for sometimes 20% more than the uh, national brand that was essentially just private labeling some of the product line. It was a, it was an interesting uh, experience, and uh, that company had the same kind of result. With salespeople started to move out of Cincinnati, and they're working out of strange places like Cape Cod. Uh, that's that, that's worked out well for them. Peter, I think we're going to take a, a short break in here, and uh, then we'll be right back. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house, Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. And we're back with Peter Wenzel from uh, Data General. General Data. I spent too many years in the computer business. Right. Well, and what's funny about that is in the very early days, 
when I was working out of my house, when people would confuse my company with Data General, I was very happy. Sure. <laughs> and then it made you it, bigger. It made me much bigger. Uh, but then as you know, the computer industry moved on and they data, they, data general sort of faded that uh, now, uh, unfortunately, you're showing your age here because a lot of people have never even heard of data general. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting uh, problem. <laughs> okay, what, what I'd like to ask you, uh, Peter, is in, in your industry, in your world, what do you see as the, the positive side, the opportunities, possibilities, uh, for growth in in our marketplace, and maybe we'll continue on with obstacles and how we, how we might overcome some of those obstacles. Well, I think um, one of the reasons, or you know, how I've made it this far, is that you have to be optimistic. Have to get up every day thinking that you can do better, that you can make your company better, uh, etc. The in these past few years where it's been extremely challenging, um, I still believe that the basis of the American belief is that we can always do things better, faster, cheaper. We always strive to improve our lot in life. And all of the uh, Washington people aside, and we won't go there, no, there. <laughs> but all the gloom and doom that is portrayed you know, in the media, et cetera, et cetera, I still believe that the American psyche, the American business will always come back. So what I've done the last two years is not wait for that to come back. I have been borrowing, investing, and spending heavily to be ready for the time when it does come back in a big way. Uh, so you have weathered the storm of this little uh, recession. We grew a minimum of 15% in every year. That's a great way to weather the storm. And now you see the opportunity moving forward to gain even more market share and more markets. Yes. Because so you're investing in your plant, equipment, and people. Correct. That's a, that's a really positive uh, perspective. Uh, well, pro probably 10 years ago, I uh, created this little diagram. I hope it doesn't pop too much. When people would say to me, Mike, what do you do? I say, well, I make sales efficient. Make sure you have the right people in the right sales jobs. Collins was right about that. Got to have the right people on the bus. Got to have a psychological process of selling that's stronger than the process of uh, feature benefit that uh, Dale Carnegie taught in 1912. That's why I teach people sandwich. And you got to create unique strategies which work in different businesses. The strategy that works for a uh, industrial janitorial company, I'm not so sure it would work for you. You need a different strategy. You have a different type of product line. So when I talk to winning businesses over the last probably eight or nine months, Peter, a lot of CEOs like yourself are telling me, yeah, we're hiring more people. Yes, our our, our employment is up. Uh, I, I do have to give a, a nice plug to the state of Ohio that worked with us. Okay. Uh, we got. Did you uh, use the workforce one? Uh, we went with through the Department of Development, okay. both in Claremont County, which was very helpful, and the chamber, and then put us in contact with the people from the state mm -hmm. 
And I wouldn't say it was an easy process for the faint of heart, but we got through it, and we actually got a bond issue guaranteed that was sold on Wall Street, guaranteed by the state, uh, which gave us uh, $3.5 million of low-cost, long-term loans, and we ponied or combined that with our bank, U.S. Bank, which bumped our credit line quite nicely, and we took the money and bought a new building, uh, rehabbed the building, bought $2.5 million of new equipment. Uh, I think our... I thought I saw a crane putting something into your building the other day. Yes. Yeah, we replaced all the air conditioning there to make it a better environment for the employees. Um, and I think we're up uh, almost 50 people in really? less than a year. Fantastic. And if I could give a, a tad of, uh, I won't say sage advice, but experience over the last year That's what this year program is all about. What I would tell other business owners, especially those that need or are looking to have to upgrade their infrastructure, mm -hmm. I would say our biggest challenge, and I'm actually probably six months behind schedule of where I thought we'd be, is that the dirty little secret out there, unfortunately, is the supply chains have been decimated from inventories. That even if you have, you've put together your plan, you've even got the money, you want to go buy industrial infrastructure products to build your business up, and the cupboard's bare. Products that going to vendors that they, you know, in 2007, 2000, or, you know, 2008, you could get delivery in literally two days. Sure. We're now looking at four- and five-month deliveries. Wow. Because, especially on the industrial side, it's just not there. They don't build it unless they have an order. I mean, I'm talking about elect electronic switch gear. Uh, some people might say it was a good problem to have. We actually ran out of electricity. We maxed out our transformer, right. our amps. We had no more power, so we couldn't put in this $2.5 million worth of equipment. I mean, it didn't happen that day. We, we knew about it, but, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we can get a new transformer in in 30 days, right. five months to get a new transformer. And was it built in America? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and so it's these things that... So manufacturers have really let the shelves go bare. The shelves are so bare, and that's where uh, all the highfalutin economists in Washington aside, where I see a potential for major inflation mm -hmm. is that if our economy ticks up 3 to 5%... Which isn't and, big. Which isn't big, but all of these companies who've been sitting on the sidelines waiting for that magic light that says, go forward because the economy's getting better. Okay, now I'm going to start to expand. So now you're saying to people who are thinking of expanding, they'd better do it now. And to oh. others who build that infrastructure product, now is the time to restock your shelves. Absolutely. Build your inventory. Because guys like Peter don't like waiting. I could see the expression oh. in your face when you said you had to wait five months oh. for an electrical transformer. Oh, I've got a machine that was supposed to be delivered in November that I still haven't got yet. They're eight-month delivery. Eight-month delivery. Eight-month delivery. And, but to my competitors, please disregard everything I've said and sit there and be placent. 
and and don't invest in the short run. Yeah. So in the end, they'll be nine to thirteen months behind and, you. Right. And uh, give me a little more market share to pick up. Sure. If you have if you have a produ- production capability and your competitor doesn't, you're going to take a lion's share of business. Correct. And that's unfortunately where I see the inflation monster coming in because if all these businesses finally decide we do have to expand with the birds bare, you're going to have inflation just because of the law of supply and demand, not because of the cost of you know raw material that China bought more. The, the, the run-up in the cost of copper over the last few years has been unbelievable. Yes. And uh, I've seen things in writing saying that the run-up in the value of silver has really just begun, that people are expecting a 200% price increase in solar because of the industrial application, because of its electrical conductivity capability. So Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, We'll be back with Peter. We're going to take a really short uh, 60-second break here. Imagine you just left your prospect's office, and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real. He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. Well, this is Mike Roth. I'm back here with Peter Wetzel. Peter, you know, I think we forgot to do this at the beginning of the show, but I wanted to tell the folks how they can get a hold of you if they want to ask you a question or want to talk to one of your uh, sales professionals. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, General Data Company, our website is www.general-data, general-data.com. Our phone number is 800-733-5252, and you can, uh, my extension is 2201. Okay. It's okay for people to call you. Uh, I will make sure that they get to the right person. That's good. That's good. Now, I like to ask people about what what are they doing in their company about the Internet and social media. Well, uh, my marketing department would probably be a better person to ask that. Um, We're doing a little bit in social media, but uh, in in our markets, I don't see it as... um, a real big thing at the moment. We have been we we've beefed up our website dramatically and have spent a lot of time and money and full time people getting more in depth uh, with product knowledge for prospects and customers, more white papers, more explanation of what we do, and then for our are, are there some products that a customer can order directly online? without having to go through a live human being. She's working internationally at multiple time zone problem. We have two uh, separate groups in that on the labeling side, we sell the vast majority of that through our dealer partners. 
that we don't sell directly to the end user. And so our dealer partners, they have access to our website uh, for products, but we're not a traditional, you know, go online and click and and buy commodity product. Okay, so if I was a hospital uh, purchasing agent and I wanted to buy one of these barcode engraving systems and slides, I wanted to buy $50,000 or $100,000 worth of this stuff today. We would come out and see you and spec it in and make sure that it's the the proper configuration for your application. So your products aren't really into the commodity sale mode. You're more in an account sale mode. Correct. Once, Once a hospital goes with your system, with your engravers, they're going to be coming back for more supplies and more orders. Correct. On uh, labels and ribbons, we sell through distribution. On specialty, on the hospital side, Mm -hmm. that we do sell direct. But once a customer is set up, Mm -hmm. then we actually can set up uh, customized portals for our customers where they can go online and order supplies direct for additional product. So the customer, let's say UCLA was a product, they can go online nine o'clock at night through their portal and order additional uh, consumables that they need for our there. systems. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So so you, you've you've taken it that far. Yes. Okay. But, but we've done more customized portals for specific customers rather than a generic portal for consumers because we really are a value add custom solution oriented company and not a commodity box mover. So in in the rest of the social media, do you have a big presence on like LinkedIn? We use LinkedIn a lot, and but once you get into Twitter and I'm just I haven't seen where it fits our sales channel yet. Uh, Twitter is kind of a funny thing. Uh, we use it here only to reach a mass market. You know, it hits when I hit, send out a tweet, it hits twenty two thousand people. Most of whom I frankly don't know. Hopefully, they're all here in the Cincinnati area because I really don't like traveling. And it's it's just a mass fast hit. Uh, the uh, the LinkedIn. Yes, and I think LinkedIn is very good, and it's a business oriented proposition. Frankly, I'm sorry, I can't even tell you whether we do have a company Facebook page, but and, and it may get there one day. But I still think Facebook is more of a consumer. End user social media at this point. About a year ago, I was probably where you are, and I had a conversion of thinking in the last year. Probably for the first 15 years I was in this business here, 50% of our clients were individuals who paid for their own training, 50% were company owners who paid for the training of their people. When our recession started, maybe two years ago, I noticed a shift so that we're, we're now probably 10% individuals and 90% corporate. And in the corporate image section, we've looked at Facebook page for the company as, as an important tool. That one page yeah. is Facebook. Very valuable for us. Okay. We, uh, I can't post my birthday photos on your page. You probably can't. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no. We picked up a client, uh, Sloan Henderson, a, a race driver. who was in the uh, Daytona Arca series uh, about a month ago. And she, a 20-year-old lady. And her fan page actually generates revenue. And I saw that and I said, gee, she's on the right track. 
Yes. Okay. I'm not going to tell you it's, I think Facebook is going to create revenue, but I think it's a, a presence the same way a CPA who's doing public accounting should have a LinkedIn page. Correct. And we may have. <laughs> you got our, marketing our, Yeah, yeah. My, the marketing department might uh, shoot me when I get back to the office. <laughs> well, I hope they're not listening. In the, the minute or so that we have left, Peter, uh, why don't you tell me about what you're proudest of? You, you had this company for uh, gee, over 20 years. 30. 30. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say 31 years, founded in 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you proudest of? Well, I, I'm proudest that I've been able to accomplish something and build an organization that employs a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm in the business to create jobs. How many people do you have now in your company? About 250. That's a lot. And and what it is, it's a lot of families. And that is also a lot of responsibility that, hey, I can't screw this up because, you know, I'll probably get through it. But well, there's 250 families that uh, is counting on that I do a good job. Okay, okay. So, and you're successful at it? So far. So far. So, we all, yeah. we, in, in small business, we all tend to... Uh, walk on that tightrope, and uh, I guess it was announced that someone was trying to put through some legislation to help small business people like you and me, Peter, and they define the small business as anyone who's got fewer than 500 employees, <laughs> and I was just shocked by that. I said, at 500 employees, you're a big business. Well, that's federal government standard. Right, yeah. Small business, you know, 200, 300 employees, that's small. 500, that's big. There are some companies that are public companies that don't have 500 employees the way they do business. Well, Peter, I've got to thank you for being on the show. Hopefully, if you have some more things to say, we can invite you back to do another show. Is that fair? Great. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I really appreciate you having me on. Good. Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 Nine four zero zero.